TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Good morning, happy Sunday. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer with you for the next two hours. Thank you for spending part of your morning with me, and uh, let's get right into it. We've got some great guests today, and starting off, we're talking about that CDC uh, recommendation or the change to the guidelines. Here's what we heard on Thursday. If you are fully vaccinated, you can start doing the things that you had stopped doing because of the pandemic. And to talk about that and more, we have Dr. Tom Russo from the Jacobs School of Medicine. Dr. Russo, good morning. Hey, Joe, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Dr. Russo, what do you think of these new guidelines from the CDC? Now, to be clear, not yet in New York State. We have not had that mandate lifted. But what do you think of the CDC saying, if you've been vaccinated, if you're two weeks after that second shot, you can get back to life as normal? I think what the CDC wants to do is make it clear that if you're fully vaccinated, that is the path to getting back to where we were pre-COVID. If you're fully vaccinated, you're largely protected from getting infected, from transmitting infection to others. And so fully vaccinated people could gather indoors, outdoors without masks uh, with really minimal risk, with the one small exception that if you're fully vaccinated, but you have some sort of immunocompromising condition, we're still in the process of learning of the degree of protection, and it's likely some of those individuals are not going to have the same high degree of protection as non-immunocompromised individuals. So caution is still the order of the day while we're sorting that out. Um, but I think this is the message that they're trying to send is, uh, you know, uh, the, the post-COVID era is in sight. Um, getting vaccinated is the ticket there, and we just need to keep getting more people vaccinated and allow more people to take advantage of this particular situation. Now, as you said, we're still looking at exa- uh, different examples of people who are vaccinated. Are, we are learning more about spreading COVID-19 when you're vaccinated. And is it looking more like it's, act- it's less likely that you will spread COVID even if you test positive if you're fully vaccinated? That seems to be the case. Um, people that are fully vaccinated that have tested positive seem to have much less virus. And obviously, if you're shedding less virus, you're less likely to transmit it to others. And so that's why we feel that the transmission rates are much lower. Of course, one needs to be cognizant. They're not zero, nor is, you know, your risk of getting infected absolutely eliminated. But the key point is, if you are fully vaccinated, and if you do get infected, you know, the vaccines are extraordinarily protective, but they're not 100%, you're likely to have asymptomatic disease or very mild disease, and it'll, for the most part, keep you out of hospital and developing serious illnesses, which obviously what we're striving for. Now, we've still, you know, 
a lot of mask talk over the last year and, 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 and continuing. A lot of people say they're going to wear a, a mask during flu season. They're going to wear a mask um, still when they go to grocery stores, even when the mandate is lifted. Uh, Dr. Russo, do you think, you know, now that we've obviously normalized masks here in the United States, uh, that mask wearing during flu season is a good idea? Yeah, I think other countries, a number of Asian countries have been doing that for a number of years and figured out if you wear a mask during the respiratory viral season, such as the flu season here, the cooler months in the northern states, that you're less likely to get sick. And and so we've learned that lesson here during the COVID pandemic. Uh, So I suspect a lot of individuals now are going to be more careful about washing their hands and wearing masks when they're in settings, particularly indoor settings with a lot of people that'll put them at risk. So I think even when we get on the other side of this pandemic, I think it's going to really uh, uh, result in a bit of shift in behavior that we have in this country with regards to mask usage and respiratory viral season. Now, Dr. Russo, I spend a lot of time on social media. That's probably not a good thing. Uh, But you you see a lot of people say that there's such thing as wearing uh, a mask too much because of your uh, immune system and all of that. Is there any truth to there being too much mask wearing? (laughs) No, there's no truth to that. (laughs) And Joe, news alert, uh, social media is not a good place for you to get any information (laughs) at all. (laughs) As As we all know, You know, the model for social media is to keep eyes on the page for as long as possible. That's what the business model is all about. So if you click on something that you find intriguing or, you know, uh, uh, and it's, you know, clickbait as we all call it, it's going to keep feeding you and feeding you that information, which, you know, if if it's false, which is often the case on social media, after a while say, oh, my gosh, I just saw a zillion stories about this. It's got to be true. So social media is a fun place to go for all sorts of things. But really, please don't use it for any, uh, you know, COVID or non-COVID healthcare related information. It's an unreliable source. So we, if you want to wear a mask during flu season and if you just want to keep wearing a mask because it's the safest you feel even fully vaccinated, that's completely OK. And actually, probably the best way to go if that makes you feel safer because it does make you safer. Yeah, I think that is, that's really generally true. Uh, I think that uh, particularly that group of fully vaccinated individuals that are immunocompromised, certainly at this point, I think it'd be prudent for them to continue to wear masks. And listen, you know, this has been a very stressful sort of 14 plus months. Even if you're fully vaccinated, you know, it's been sort of your uh, security shield for a long period of time now. If you're not ready to drop that mask, that's okay. Perhaps the first place, sort of like on a bicycle with training wheels, the first place to start maybe no longer wearing masks is outdoors. We know outdoors is much, much safer. So if you're nervous about no longer wearing a mask, I would suggest that is the first place is outdoors and sort of go from there and see how you feel about that. Now, talking about this herd immunity, Dr. Russo, you know, we've heard that expression so much over the last year, and we look at these vaccine numbers. Now, if we're going to look at real herd immunity, are we counting those, or should we be counting those who have tested positive for COVID, or should we stick just to those who are vaccinated? Yeah, so this is an interesting point. First, let me start about, and and to really make sure we have no misconceptions about what herd immunity is. We are not going to get rid of this virus. It is not going to be like smallpox where we're going to be able to eradicate it off the face of this planet. If we get a critical number of people vaccinated, 
or immunologically protected from getting infected. And people think that number is somewhere around 75 to 85%. We're going to keep this virus under control. It's going to be damage control. We'll have very low number of cases. Those cases will be in individuals that are unvaccinated and susceptible to virus. Um, they'll, in the summertime, with the better weather, those cases will probably be a low background noise. But if we still have a, a significant proportion of individuals that are not protected, as we enter in the cool months, we're probably going to have a bit of a blip in cases. Uh, hopefully it won't be too large because we'll have most people vaccinated. Now, if you've previously been infected with the variants that are dominating this country right now, which is primarily the 117 variant first described in the UK, infection from prior versions of this virus, sort of the original Wuhan strain, or that was quickly replaced with another strain I call version 2.0, has a D to G change in the spike protein. Prior infection will protect you against these strains. But what my concern is, there's some other variants out there that uh, and immunity afforded by getting previously infected may not get the job done. And that's the variant first described in South Africa, the variants that's circulating in Brazil right now, the P1. So that's why these individuals at this point are contributing to, uh, you know, this concept of herd immunity or fewer people the virus can infect at this point. But if they don't get vaccinated and these other variants then become um, more predominant in this country as more and more people are vaccinated and uh, these naturally infected individuals will no longer be resistant. They may increase in numbers. So I think while the situation is going to be relatively quiet in Western New York here in the summer, that's the time that we need to continue vaccinating people so that the vaccines work against these variants. That's what we're striving for. We want that 75 to 85% number to be vaccinated individuals because we know that it really is the best possible form of immunity that you could have. You know, Dr. Russo, I know there are two different kinds of, um, of vaccines, you know, the flu vaccine and, and COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, and every year we get a flu shot. And that is, you know, a, a strain they think will be the, the strain in your region, in your country. Um, but with COVID-19, and we're, we're seeing these other variants. So far, the vaccines uh, protect against them. But do you think uh, we are going to see that COVID variant where we're going to have to adjust the vaccines we are currently handing out? Well, we don't know for sure. I hope not. I'm somewhat encouraged where all the variants that are popping up in various parts of the world, there's about a half a dozen changes that are all occurring independently, suggesting that the virus only has so many moves. Because um, if certain mutations uh, uh, make the virus no longer biologically viable, it's not able to replicate or it's not able to efficiently infect other individuals. So I'm hoping that what we're seeing right now is sort of, uh, you know, the best the virus could throw at us. But obviously, we need to continue to keep our eyes on this. And that's why ongoing surveillance, particularly of individuals that have been fully vaccinated, that might get seriously ill and land in hospital to make sure that uh, it's not due to some variant that's new that is able to get around vaccine-induced immunity and cause serious disease. But as you said, Joe, so far, so good. Such a variant hasn't really been identified. Um, you know me, I'm the ultimate optimist. So uh, I'm trying to will, will the situation that we won't see such a variant, but we're just going to have to see.
You know, this question was asked Thursday at the CDC meeting, and I'd just like your opinion on it, uh, because I think you can look at this, you know, one of two ways, but obviously I am, I am not a doctor. But looking at the situation the Yankees went through last week, where seven fully vaccinated players and coaches uh, got tested positive for COVID-19, but really didn't get sick with COVID-19, uh, that's a rarity, right? Yeah, I'd love to know some of the details of that situation. Uh, and so it seems like a disproportionate number of individuals got infected. We know these vaccines are like in the mid-90s level of efficacy, so you would really predict that you would have that many individuals uh, infected. However, what I heard is, and I'm not, I haven't heard this in terms of primary data, is that they got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Now, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is not as efficacious as the RNA vaccine. The RNA vaccines really look like There are absolute best vaccines on multiple fronts, not only in terms of being most efficacious, but obviously they don't have any concerns for that very rare safety signal of blood clots that we're seeing with the J&J vaccine and, you know, the vaccine AstraZeneca that's not approved in this country. So I'm wondering, A, how much of that is with the J&J vaccine? The level of protection is not as great and it prevents severe disease, but it's not quite as good as preventing asymptomatic disease and, and mild disease. And the other thing I wonder about is, you know, how long ago were they vaccinated? Um, Because even though we say people are fully vaccinated two weeks after their last shot, um, we know the J&J vaccine trial data, which showed 72 percent efficacy in contrast to mid-90s for the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine, was after four weeks. So um, interesting situation. I'd love to know a little bit more about that to give us greater insight. But again, at the end of the day, regardless of all that speculation, you know, they were asymptomatic or mildly ill. And so if we convert a potentially lethal virus into, you know, a trivial infection, I think we could all live with that. Yeah, I, mean, I think the, the, the best news out of it is, you know, people aren't ending up in the hospital. Yes, you have those breakthrough cases, but people not ending up in the hospital at the end of the day, Dr. Russo, that's what this is all about. Exactly. That's why we, you know, didn't go nuts about trying the you know, mad rush to make vaccines for the common cold, right? They were a nuisance, but... People weren't seriously ill. People weren't landing in hospital. People weren't having bad outcomes. And, you know, uh, we could live with that. And uh, as we're now learning, we talked about uh, sort of uh, up top with this particular uh, discussion we're having. If you choose to wear a, a mask during respiratory virus season, you'll even cut down on those nuisance respiratory viruses that make you feel a bit out of sorts for three or four days. Now, the last question I have to ask you, Dr. Russo, being a doctor, what do you think of the certain incentives to get the vaccine, uh, giving away fast food and Krispy Kreme donuts as an incentive to get the vaccine? To me, that seems counterproductive. I I love them. (laughs) You know, my mission is to get as many people as possible vaccinated. And uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, whatever it takes. You know, I mean, I think they need to up their game a little bit from a Krispy Kreme donut. That's sort of nice, you know. Uh, okay, maybe not the million-dollar lottery in uh, Ohio that we've heard about as well. You know, there is sort of two groups of people out there that are yet to be vaccinated. Those people that are hesitant because they still require some answers to questions and concerns that they have. And, and I don't think these incentives are really going to get it done. I think what they need to do is sit down with a health care provider or a trusted, properly informed individual to really lay the facts out to see, truly see 
the huge benefits of vaccination with really with our Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, the best vaccines in the world, really zero risk of any serious consequences uh, at this point. Really over 450 million doses given, no safety signal concerns. But for another group, the people that, you know, don't have computer access, haven't been able to get online or they didn't want to fight for appointments or they don't have transportation or they were too busy at work to, you know, take time off to get vaccinated. All these types of incentives or convenience factors, bringing the vaccine to them, walk-in appointments, whatever it takes, I think that they're more than willing to get vaccinated. We just have to make it a little easier for them or inspire them to greatness. And so, uh, you know, my goal as a physician is I know this vaccination is going to protect people. And obviously, that's what we want to do is prevent people here in Western Europe from getting sick and hospital and having bad outcomes, not only in the short term, but the really totally unpredictable, intermediate, long-term consequences of this infection, right? No one wants to have these long haul of symptoms that you're feeling out of sorts now for weeks and months afterwards uh, that can occur even if you're mildly infected. So whatever it takes, Joe, that's my position. And, uh, you know... Uh, if it's tickets or food or whatever, a shot and a beer, which is extraordinarily accessible, I say let's keep going and up the ante if we if we can. Dr. Russo, I I agree. You know, if it's getting uh, shots and arms, except you know, I went and got my vaccine and I didn't get my beer to go with it. So I think I'm going to have to contact the county about that. <laughs> you got to bluff them. Go down there and say, Joe, you need another round. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Russo, thank you so much for joining me on a Sunday. Really appreciate it. <laughs> All right. You have a great morning. Take care now. Thanks, you too. Dr. Tom Russo, Jacob School of Medicine. Always uh, always an informative conversation. I really enjoy talking to Dr. Russo. When we come back, we will have our third New York State gubernatorial candidate on Hardline. Rob Astorino will join me after the news on WBEN. Welcome back. It is Hardline on News Radio. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer with you till noon today. Thank you for joining me. Our next guest is our third New York gubernatorial candidate, Rob Astorino, joining us. Rob, good morning. Good morning, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing all right, Rob. Now, you were in Buffalo the same time as Governor Andrew Cuomo was in Buffalo a few days ago. And this is your second run at New York State Governor. Now, I know this is probably a pretty easy question um, 
Can you cite some differences between that campaign and this upcoming one and uh, your opponent, Governor Andrew Cuomo? Well, big differences certainly between Cuomo and I. Uh, Not too many differences between why I ran in 14 and why I'm running now. Let's start with Cuomo. Obvious uh, answer is he's been a disgrace to the office. He has been a failure to uh, to govern, and um, we've suffered, not just Western New York, but all of New York State. We've seen how he's been a complete and utter phony through the pandemic, where at the very beginning, you know, people were listening to him because he was communicating uh, in contrast to how President Trump was communicating. And so that's what the national media loved, and they elevated Cuomo to basically saint status but we've seen now that it was a complete forgery complete and utterly ridiculous and he actually put 15,000 people not all seniors by the way to their death with that executive order that defied logic it defied common sense why he would do something like that Um, but then of course he wrote he wrote a book got millions, may have had state employees help him with that. And, of course, we understand now that um, he was covering up the number of deaths and which might turn out to be obstruction of of justice. You also have the sexual harassment claims against him. Um, He deserves the benefit of the doubt at this point. He deserves uh, to be considered innocent until proven guilty, because unlike, unlike Cuomo and too many leftists, I actually do believe in due process. But if it comes out that he is guilty, uh, and especially if they're state employees, then I don't know where else he goes other than potentially resigning, right? So you've got potential indictment, you've got potential impeachment, or, of course, I think the fail-safe is the voters of New York State definitively toss him out of office and say to Albany, we want a new direction. And that's why I'm running because, you know, in 14, when I did run, I ran for very specific reasons. New York was on the wrong track then. It is even worse off the rails now. We have a a runaway train in Albany that's not only dipping into everybody's pocket every day, but also this leftist agenda that's coming out of New York City, which is gripping Uh, The state capitol, you know, honestly, like Joe, enough is enough with this craziness, this woke, you know, woke culture, cancel culture, uh, division by race and class, this critical race theory nonsense. All of these things are bad. They're, They're bad for New York. They're bad for our country. Our quality of life is diminishing. It's why so many people in western New York and throughout New York State uh, either have a real estate agent down south ready to move or have already left. Maybe they're listen, listening right now to WBEN on Alexa or online because they still have that love for New York, but they're going outside having a cup of coffee on, you know, somewhere in Florida. So we don't have to put up with this nonsense. And if you remember back in 14, and I caught a lot of, a lot of heat for this, but when Cuomo came out with his Buffalo Billion I said right then and there that that was the wrong way to build back Western New York. It was going to lead to corruption, and there was no guarantee that any of this was going to come to fruition. And obviously I was right, because none of it did. Uh, They kept lowering the target amounts for jobs created, um, and it was nowhere near what it should have been. 
and obviously the, the state spent so much money uh, for Elon Musk and, and others, and the jobs just aren't there. That's the wrong way, and the corruption, of course, that came out of it. So I ran in 14 for the same reasons I'm running now. I believe, and when this season unfolds and I get around the state and it's clear what I stand for, that people will realize I ran the closest race that Cuomo has ever had in his seven statewide elections. I came within 500,000 votes of beating him in 14, despite despite having party leaders, uh, party elected officials like three county executives and Dean Skelos, the majority leader in the Senate at the time and other Republican senators, outwardly supporting Cuomo and helping him, including Chris Christie. And with all of that, we still came within 13 points when the public polls had us losing by 35. And that 500,000 vote deficit uh, is the closest by far. Those before me and after me have lost by either 1.4 million to 2.5 million. That's how close it was. So we have a legitimate chance. I come from a county in Westchester that's very similar to New York. I'm sorry, really similar to New York as a whole, but also similar to Erie County in many respects, where you have wealthier towns, more blue-collar, middle-class towns. You have an inner city like Buffalo. We have Yonkers here. And I've won twice countywide in Westchester by 13 points. If you can win in a county like Westchester twice, you can win statewide. And, you know, I won Monroe County. I won Suffolk County, big counties. And we won the state outside of New York City. This time we're going to win what we need to win in New York City and uh, give Cuomo the boot. Now, Rob, let me ask you, because obviously in 2014, as you cited, as you mentioned, we had the financial issues then. Now the financials and and, and the debt the state is going to be in after COVID-19. And also, you mentioned it, people are leaving. I, I can't tell you how many callers we get a day that are in Florida, calling, listening, as you said, on the internet, listening to this station, but calling from Tampa, Miami, Jacksonville. Uh, what is the, pl- what, say, say, you know, 2022, you're in, you're in office, the debt from COVID-19, the debt from before COVID-19 that this state has gone in, what is the first step to not only alleviate some of that debt, but bring people back to New York State? You know, Joe, I hear all the time people are like, I can't wait to get out of here. I got one foot out the door. You know, once my kid graduates in a couple of years, we're gone. We already have a real estate agent in in South Carolina or Florida. And more than that, you could just see the hopelessness on people's faces. And it didn't matter, like, for instance, you know, like in Western New York, if, if I'm in any of the communities, you know, Tonawanda, uh, Amherst, Clarence, it, it honestly doesn't matter. You can just see it on their faces. They're like, I can't take it anymore. And God, how should we, how can we live like that in a state that treats us like the, like the enemy? So I think the first thing is to give people hope. The second thing is when I get in there to do the mandate that I will have been ordered to do, and that's going to be this. In, in, in no particular order, but I would say the economy is first and foremost. You have to be able to reduce taxes in a meaningful way. Now, in Westchester, when I was county executive, I ran on Stop the Tax Madness. And we got over 20% of the Democrats, which is a significant number, to vote for me. We had um, 25% of the African-American vote. 
We won the Hispanic vote outright. Yo hablo español, y este es muy importante en este estado. I speak Spanish, and it's really important in a state like New York. It gives us an opportunity to go to different neighborhoods, which I've always done, to talk about things that matter. But the economy, taxes matter to everybody, because if you can't afford to live here, if you don't have a good job, you're not going to stay. You're going to look elsewhere, which is what everybody's doing. So we need to fundamentally change things like we did in Westchester throughout New York State. Meaningful reductions across the board in taxes, including income taxes, corporate taxes, you name it, and stop the craziness that they're trying to do now, which would, which would inhibit growth. So the economy, helping jobs come back. And that doesn't mean throwing all those tax dollars at schemes that turn into scandals we need to actually help the entrepreneurs and the corporations and the small businesses do their own thing, grow. That means, in a meaningful way, getting rid of redundant and, and terrible regulations and, and being a friend, not a foe, in the state capital. The other things, like education, is really important. Why should somebody in inner city Buffalo or anywhere who is on a waiting list for a charter school like we have in New York City, 50,000 kids, low-income would love to be able to go to the school of their choice, but they're being stopped, stopped by ideologues in Albany. I think we have to have charter schools, more of them, education investment tax credit, which would help uh, fund some of our parochial and private schools and, and, again, give people opportunities. There's exciting things happening with education around the country in different states. We have to really pick what's worked and make some changes. We also need to reduce energy costs because you're not going to bring manufacturing back. You're not going to bring different opportunities for corporations to come into western New York or into New York as a whole if they don't have access to uh, energy, if their energy costs are through the roof, which they are, second highest in the country. So those are important things. Ethics, term limits, I believe, are really important. We did term limits in Westchester. We should be doing term limits statewide. There's no reason Cuomo should even be considering running for a fourth term, not just because of his record, but my God, if you can't accomplish things as an executive in eight years or 12 years at most, then you haven't been doing your job. It's time for somebody new. So I think those are really important. And the last thing I would say, if you're continuing our ease, is enough. Like, Enough is enough of this lunacy right now in our world, in our state, where you have half the country being told you're bad. You know, everyone's a white supremacist, apparently, if you disagree with the left. Uh, everyone's a racist, of course. Uh, it's just nonsensical. It's damaging. It's dangerous. And I will be that vessel. I have no problem being that voice and vessel for people who are afraid because that's how they win when they when they yell things at us and we we cower in the corner and we shut up that does not allow our ideas to get out and that allows them to take more ground and ultimately consume us and and I'm not going to allow that you know rob the the political division uh throughout the country but right here in New York state uh you know everything you said in my opinion would appeal to people that consider themselves republican and consider themselves democrat uh, but are are you concerned the New York state voter is going to go into their voting their voting location and just see the letter next to their name, and if it's a Democrat, they just fill that bubble in. Uh, or do you think this this time around, because very likely it'll be Andrew Cuomo, uh, that people that consider themselves Democrats will look at all the candidates? 
they said that about me in '09. Like you're crazy. You're a conservative Republican. There's no way you can win in overwhelmingly Democratic, deep blue Westchester. And I said, I think you're wrong. The timing was right. The issues were on our side. People were tired of the same old, same old, and the incumbent back then. And I raised enough money to get her message out. And more importantly, I campaigned in areas that, for some stupid reason, Republicans generally don't go. And, you know, when I spent a lot of time in 14 in East Buffalo and and in communities that Republicans probably hardly ever visit, there's a reason for that. Because we have to grow the party, and the way you're going to get to 50% plus one is by, by filling that big tent with people who will vote for you if you ask them to, if you explain why you're going to make their lives better. I've done it before, and it's, it's exactly how I'll campaign. I mean, we could run the biggest rah-rah, bring out the base, and we'll get 38%. Well, how is that going to get us across the finish line? It's not. And clearly, when I got 41% in 2014, far better than any Republican, it's because we were able to bring in Democrats and others. And that's the way we have to be. But I think the pendulum has swung so far over to the left, so fast. Democrats control everything everywhere on all levels, D.C., Albany, the suburbs of New York, New York City, There's nobody to blame other than the Democrats. You can scream Donald Trump all you want, but he's not there. So I think offering a real choice, and I'm going to have a very bold and transformative campaign. It's not going to be nibbling around the edges because that's not what New York needs, and I don't think that's what voters want. I want Democrats to say, you know what, I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but I do need an adult in the room. I do need a stop sign put up for these far leftists. And I want a little balance. So he did it in Westchester in a Democratic county. I'm going to take a chance. And that's how we're going to win. And I believe, not only do I believe we will win, but I believe we will have the mandate to make the changes that I talked about. You know, Rob, before I let you go, I have to ask, uh, on a national level, the Republican Party right now seems kind of split. You have the Trump Republicans and the Cheney Republicans. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? And do you think that puts the Republican Party in danger for what should be a very winnable 2022 midterm? It will be, I think, a successful midterm, uh, again, because the Democrats control everything. Look, we have a lot of leaders in our party. Donald Trump, of course, is one of them. And a lot of the things that that he espoused and accomplished are really important, not just for our party, but also the nation. And we see what's collapsing right now with regard to immigration, where inflation is running wild and it's seeping in. You go to the store and you're paying a lot more. You go to the gas station, forget the lines, but you're paying more at the pump. So I think Donald Trump is an important voice in our party, but there are so many others. Look at Senator Tim Scott in South Carolina. What a breath of fresh air. Look at Ron DeSantis in Florida and and what he's been able to accomplish. So I think it is a very big party, and I do think that we are going to be successful, not just in New York, but nationally going into the 22 elections. And, you know, I'm looking forward to it. And, And I do think, though, that we've got to be very welcoming to all different groups. We've got to campaign on on their turf, so to speak, the Democratic areas. And we've got nothing to lose if we do that, a lot to gain politically. But you can't have a closed tent uh, and expect to win. So you win by building coalitions, which is what I've done in the past. Uh, And yet 
I had a Democratic legislature the entire time, the entire time, and we were able to accomplish a lot of things. But I also used my veto pen effectively when they wanted to raise taxes, when they wanted to make Westchester a, a sanctuary county. I brought back the gun show. So we did a lot of things um, that, you know, could appeal to not just the base, but economically and tax-wise that will appeal to everybody. Rob, as as restrictions ease, I'm hoping next time we talk to you, it's right here in the WBEN studio. I can't wait. And you know what? I can't wait to get some Paula's Donuts, which I love. <laughs> Everyone joked about that in 14. Every time we would go to Buffalo or Western New York, I would... I would get a dozen Paula's donuts and just about eat them the entire time in the car. <laughs> but you got some great stuff there uh, in, in Western New York. and look forward to seeing you. Rob, look forward to seeing you. Thank you so much for joining me. That is former Westchester County Executive Rob Astorino. He is running for New York governor. He is the third gubernatorial candidate to join us on Hardline this year. And like I said, I, I can't wait until we get people back here in the studio. And you know what that means when things, when people start coming back to the studio? Yes, Paula's Donuts start appearing in the studio. Something that if we have not seen as much here at the WBEN studios over the last year with everything closed down. But as people are getting back to their normal life, people are getting back to work, we're hoping to get people right back here into the studio. When we come back, we will have Erie County Clerk Mickey Kearns on, uh, on the new DMV at the Eastern Hills Mall opens tomorrow. The ribbon cutting was last week. And we'll also talk about those zombie properties. It's Hardline on WBEN.